On this episode of This Week in Linux, we'll celebrate the first of three birthdays for the Linux kernel. Mozilla announced a new release of Firefox with the Firefox 80 release. Fedora 33 is switching to ButterFS, and they're having currently a testing week for those who are wanting to help out for testing the new ButterFS on Fedora. OpenSUSE is also having some testing going on for their new Jump branch. Later in the show, we'll check out the new AMD laptop from Tuxedo Computers, the Pulse 14. Then we'll talk about the FUD surrounding Linux security, as well as what FUD means. We'll also round out the show with some gaming news related to Super Tux Cart and some awesome deals at the Humble Store and some Humble Bundles. All that and so much more coming up on this episode of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 115 of This Week in Linux, a weekly Linux news podcast, part of the Destination Linux network. I'm Michael Tunnell, and if you're new to the show, this is a show that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take on the latest topics using my over 20 years experience as a Linux user. Before we get started, I want to let you know a few things in the housekeeping section, and that is frontpagelinux.com is a fantastic website, and there's been there's actually going to be a really awesome article being published pretty soon on the website, so be sure to subscribe to the RSS feeds so you can get notified when that happens. Also, I'm going to be dropping a video related to this because it's just it's just an amazing article. So go check out frontpagelinux.com for the latest news, tutorials, articles, all kinds of stuff, including videos and so much more, frontpagelinux.com. I also have two other podcasts that you should check out. There's Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts. You can go to destinationlinux.network to find out more about them and get episodes and downloads and that kind of thing. Destination Linux is an awesome podcast. It's I know I'm a little bit biased because it is my podcast, but it's an awesome podcast because... It is a great way to learn and also have a great time because there's a lot of friendly banter and just it's just a fun experience. So check out Destination Linux podcast and also check out Hard Radics. Hard Radics is another awesome show that I'm on and not biased about that. This is actually has nothing to do with me about it being awesome. This is because Wendy and Ryan are the ones who help me learn about hardware because I'm pretty much a hardware Padawan. And I don't know that much, so this is like a really fun learning experience. So you should check out Hardwareix because if you are new to hardware and you are you're interested in it, this is a great source for that. And if you're also a fan of hardware, this is just an awesome, uh, awesome podcast anyway because there's so many cool things that Ryan teaches us about hardware and also about uh, cameras from Wendy. And this show is once a week, but if you want to keep up to date with things that I'm doing throughout the week, then follow me on Twitter or Mastodon to get notified when I post new videos and also a variety of other things, just random thoughts too sometimes. I'm not sure if that's appealing or not. First in the show this week, we're going to cover the Linux kernel, more specifically the birthday of the Linux kernel. So happy birthday, the 29 years ago on August 25th, 1991, Linus Torvalds made his now famous announcement on the comp.os.minix newsgroup saying that he's working on a free operating system for the 386 AT clones. And it's interesting because the way he says it is, hello, everybody out there using Minix. I'm doing a free operating system. Just a hobby. Won't be big and professional like GNU or 386 AT clones. So it's it's funny because he's like when he originally created it, he had no intentions of it becoming the monster that it is. A good monster, but the monster that it is. 
And now it's at a point where it's on smartphones, Wi-Fi routers, smart fridges, uh, big screen TVs, uh, airplanes, satellites. Uh, it's powered. It powers most of the internet, like seventy percent of the eighty percent of the internet, something like that. It's like it's one hundred percent of all of the world's top five hundred supercomputers, and so much more. Even like big companies like Google, Twitter, Facebook, and Amazon use Linux to power their system. Like so much, and Linux is not only is like the thing about people is people don't think that Linux is that big, uh, but it is huge. Uh, it's actually every single person on the planet interacts with Linux in some way, mostly in an abstract way, but still every day, everyone can interacts with it in some way. And that's how powerful his hobby became, which is just awesome to think about, I think. So it is also kind of funny that there are debates on when the birthday is. Now, most people say the announcement of the creation of the kernel is the birthday. And there's also debates about, you know, the first piece of source code or the first piece of code seen should have, should be when it was the birth date or whatever. And there's also just debates about which source code you're talking about, like whether it's the public code or the or like release of any code. And, you know, so there's technically at the moment, there's three debated birthdays for the kernel. And uh, Linus basically says that all of them are fine. He doesn't really have a preference of which one is which. So... I don't know if it's always going to be debated or what, but essentially the August 25th is the most commonly used. I, I don't, it's basically just because it's like the most, um, the, the, the newsletter mailing list thing or the not newsletter, but the mailing list, uh, message is the most like, uh, um, upfront type of thing about what it was. So I think that's why people have picked it, but you know, whichever one you want to pick is fine. I don't really have a preference anyway. So happy birthday, Linux kernel. And uh, I can't wait for more and see what happens in the future because it's just going to get better and better from there. Up next in the show is the latest release from Mozilla, and that is Firefox 80 has been released. And this has some really cool stuff been added to it, like the GPU acceleration. So support for FFmpeg VA API acceleration for video playback on X11 has been added to Firefox 80. It's not on by default. You have to go into the about config page in order to activate it. However, in 81, it will be on by default. So that's fantastic. So you won't have to do anything until 80. Well, if you want to, if you just wait till 81, but if you don't want to wait, you can go in to go into about config and I'll have a link in the show notes that shows how to do that. Uh, but yeah, you can go into about config and then change a couple settings and then bam, you get video acceleration, which is awesome or GPU acceleration, not just video, but GPU acceleration, which is, it's great. Uh, so also they added a new setup wizard, which is really awesome because they added it's, it's, it allows you to, so when you open and when you create, when you install Firefox, the default current tab now shows a wizard that gives you options for handling imports. It also gives you options to choose the themes of like just a, you could choose light, dark and automatic mode and stuff. So it'll based on the system theme and that sort of stuff. So it's, it's just really nice to see that that's been added because it makes it a lot easier to get started with the browser. And I think a lot of the times wizards are a very, useful tool that is underutilized in most applications. So it's really nice to see when some people like some projects add that because there is oftentimes a very good value in having those. 
So, and also another thing is that they improved some accessibility things like the JAWS screen reader was improved and they also did some like uh, polishing the animations to help people who have like migraines and stuff like that. So that's very cool. So if you want to check it out, I have a link in the show notes to Firefox 80, the release notes, and also the download page. Up next in the show is Fedora 33 testing week for ButterFS. So ButterFS will be replacing Extended 4 or EXT4 as the default file system for Fedora. This is for the desktop variants, including Fedora Workstation and Fedora KDE. And it's also the first time the file system has changed since Fedora 11. So this is a big change. So if, you might, if you're not familiar with ButterFS, ButterFS is a file system with modern features uh, for like data integrity, optimizations for SSDs, compressions, uh, writable snapshots, multiple device support, and so much more. And like for the, the benefits of the features is that it, def- it defends against like bit rot and memory bit flips. And uh, it has like for improvements for like checksums and performance for verification on every read. It also has a bunch of stuff like it uses copy on write, which if you're not familiar means it does no uh, data overwriting. And it's also like crashes in, a, in a, a safer way. So when copying a file, ButterFS does not write new data until you actually change the old data and a bunch of other stuff. Like that's what copy on write means. Uh, there's also a bunch of other features that are benefits it. And ButterFS has been around for a while. It's been used by even big companies like well, Facebook has been using it on millions of their machines in production, so it is has a lot of usage. And also, SUSE has used ButterFS for quite a while in both SUSE and OpenSUSE and a variety of different places like that. So it's interesting that Fedora decided to do this in terms of switching to ButterFS. Uh, I'm very curious to see how this works out. Uh, but they also wanted to do a testing week. So this week as this episode is released, they're doing a testing week. So it's already been t- testable for a while in since July in Rawhide, but this is more of a QA full level type of testing for the week. So in this event is where anyone can make sure the changes in Fedora work well. And they say that if you've never contributed before, this is a perfect way to get started. And all you need to do to contribute is to download the test materials, which include some large files to download, then read and follow these step-by-step directions and it also has a wiki page that has links for like the test images and stuff like that. So if you want to get involved in help testing the ButterFS for Fedora, for Fedora 33, then I'll have a link in the show notes below. And I am very interested to see how well this works out for people. So if you do want to test it out, let me know in the comments below how you've had the experience was for you. And uh, yeah, so links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean by going to do.co slash dln and get a free $100 credit when you go to that URL. So DigitalOcean is optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. I actually set up some new droplets recently for the quality control platform that the Destination Linux Network is doing and as a part of with the, with the community. And there's a cool, th- a, lot, a lot of cool things I learned just by setting these up because I already knew that it was really, really easy to set up SSH keys in new droplets. You can even do it as you build the droplet. That's just great. So when I added some new developers to that, it was really easy to do. But also I, start, I set up a floating IP and I expected this to be a lot harder than it was for some reason. I don't 
don't know why I did, but I just, you know, sysadmin stuff is not my thing. So, and I went to this, the section on the dashboard and it says, uh, click float. I was like, oh, I didn't go to floating IP. Okay, cool. Click enable. Okay. It's done. All right. Awesome. So that's the process in order to do it, which is just fantastic. DigitalOcean also recently announced new features and services such as virtual private cloud or VPC in all regions free of charge. And this lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. And they're also going to be setting up be a default in the future. Uh, you can all, you can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. So get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a, do- a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. So I am super excited about this topic This is the DLN is making a quality control platform topic. And if you're not familiar, there was an episode of Destination Linux, episode 186, where we talked about quality control in Linux. And we talked about various different aspects of it. Is it effective? Are there issues? Are there things that we as a community can do to help the system and help the ecosystem? And we just had this conversation, which eventually turned into us convincing each other that we want to help do something. And then because of that, we decided, well, we're going to try to create a platform for testers and for projects to get testers and for testers to offer to be helping projects and stuff like that. And we posted on the forum and we, we, we asked if anybody wanted to help participate and create this platform. And so much great feedback has happened. And it's just it's just amazing how how impactful this has been, because just in a couple of weeks, we've had people sign up to be a part of it. We've even had recent meetings on Mumble to discuss what the platform we built with, like the software, the, the languages and technologies and stuff like that, and like the overall architecture of what they're wanting to do. And it's it's all still currently in discussion. So if you want to participate, you can still you know join the forum and participate in that. And also going forward, there are going to be different aspects where people can be involved in a variety of different ways. So it's not just for developers or designers and whatever. There's a lot of ways to contribute if you would like to i would be very amazing and for everybody who is currently participating in this thank you very 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 much because it is just it's astonishing how how much in input has been had from this just a couple of weeks of us wanting to do this and it and it's it's on its path to becoming a thing and i am so excited about that i'm just i can't express just how excited i am about that for those who are not familiar with what this conversation's about, I'll go in a little bit more detail. So there was, you know, there's, and the, the problem overall is that there's a lot of projects that have all separate testing aspects and testing um, communities and stuff like that. So they would post whenever they want to get people to test stuff, they would post on forums or, or tweets, or they would post in variety of different other things like mailing lists and even worse, like an IRC channel. When the reason IRC is worse, because if you're not there in real time, you wouldn't get the message and that sort of stuff. So it's in the problem is mostly like confusion over what's needed to be tested, uh, what kind of hardware it needs to be tested on and a variety of other things. So 
having something that allows the process to be simpler for both the tester and the developer is what the goal is for this platform. So the idea is to create a platform where testers can sign up and developers can sign up and search for different testers and get like, they can even go into the point of saying, I need to have people who have high DPI screens and I want to get this tested for those with those people. And I want to give, get people who are using AMD uh, CPUs with a combination of AMD CPU and NVIDIA graphics cards and find those people so I can have those people test certain specific things and that sort of stuff. That's the idea of what the platform will be, making it possible for people who would like to contribute in testing to let them let the pro, let the projects know what kind of hardware you have, what your experience is in testing and that sort of stuff, and then letting the projects find the people that they want to get all in a single platform that makes everything simple and usable for both sides. That's what the goal of the platform is and the fact that it's coming to become a, a coming to fruition is just astonishing. So Anybody who wants to participate in it, you still can. Just join the DLN forum. I'll have a link in the show notes to the forum thread. If you'd like to help address it, there are plenty of things to be able to do. There's even things that are not necessarily development or designer aspect stuff. So like, for example, if you're a lawyer, if you would be willing to contribute, then we would be incredibly appreciative of that because there are things like the GDPR and stuff like that that we don't understand So if you are a lawyer and do understand those things and would like to help out, then we would appreciate it very much if you'd get in contact with us. Join the DLN forum and post on the thread what you can help with, regardless of what you can. Like, There's so many different things that are available for people who would like to participate. And if you would like to, then be sure to go to that forum thread. I have a link in the show notes to find out more. Up next in the show, we have some more testing-related stuff, and that is OpenSUSE Jump is now available for alpha testing. So this is an experimental distribution for devs for trying to synchronize the SUSE Linux Enterprise binaries for OpenSUSE Leap. So there's already a heavy connection between uh, Leap, Slee, and also uh, Tumbleweed, but they they're not they're not completely compatible and like synchronized and that sort of stuff. And Jump is trying to create a branch that will eventually become Leap, but in the current stage, it is right now in a separate branch to test it to see if they can make this possible. And then at some point after that, turn it into Leap. So this is a really interesting approach because there's a lot of ideas that make it possible to have the enterprise edition and the uh, desktop user edition be in sync and how much benefit there could be of all the testing and all the effort is put into both of them. They could, the the amount of benefit there would be in that is a, a huge and also allows you to have less time put into duplicate effort. So like if someone is doing support for or testing for jump, or no, testing for Leap, and they're also testing for the Enterprise, like SUSE is testing for the Enterprise version. Those are kind of like double efforts in a way. So the concept of Jump is to kind of like merge that effort into one and then also have Tumbleweed, which has the rolling aspects and all the uh, very innovative stuff and all this the heavy testing stuff like that is applied there. So making it where you could have more testing done but more in a consolidated way so it's an interesting approach and i am very excited to see what happens with it Uh, so if anybody wants to try it out there you go there's also been a lot of updates in tumbleweed so there's like 
Tumbleweed is, is updated all the time. So I, I don't usually talk about it because it is updated that like a ton. But since we're talking about branches of OpenSUSE anyway, so there's been three snapshots of OpenSUSE Tumbleweed just this week with updates to various packages and bug fixes. And there are also improvements to fdupes, or, which is like a, a program for identifying de- or deleting duplicate applications or duplicate files, not applications, but duplicate files. And they've also done some updates to Pipewire. They've also done some uh, improvements to adding a new uh, spell checking library that is a spell checker supported by the Mozilla Foundation. They've also added some bug fixes and stuff to Z- ZSTD decoding and a variety of different things. So I normally don't talk about tum- Tumbleweed just because it ha- it updates so much. But if you're interested, Tumbleweed is a great rolling release distribution. And I have done some some testing of my own to fill, like fill around like how well does it do updates and that sort of stuff. And I even did one time where I had a system where I purposely left it alone for like six or seven months. I don't know exactly how long it was, but it was something like that just to see how many packages would need to be updated and how well would it do the update. And by the time I went to go update it, it was like two to 2000 to 3000 packages somewhere in there. It was a lot of packages and it did the update just seamlessly. Now there were some issues that I had it like asked me some questions that I had to verify if I wanted to do certain things, but the fact that it was able to go from a it's a rolling distribution, which is unheard of by the way to have a rolling distribution be able to wait that long with that many packages and no big breaks happen. That is impressive. So, if you're looking for a rolling based distribution, maybe check out OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. So, Links to both Jump, this just alpha testing for Jump and OpenSUSE Tumbleweed if you'd like to check it out in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Tuxedo Computer's Pulse 14 AMD Ryzen 7 Linux laptop. Now, we already talked about the Pulse 15 in a previous episode of episode 110 of This Week in Linux. So I have a link to that in the show notes for the full details because I'm not going to go into the super details of like how much cash is on the processor and that kind of thing. So we're just going to cover the highlights for this for this particular product. So the Pulse 14 laptop is an Ultrabook, very slim, uh, thin laptop. It has a 14-inch 1080p 60 hertz display. It has two options for CPU, the AMD Ryzen 7 4800H and the Ryzen 5 4600H, which by the way, I am such a huge fan of AMD for the past couple of years. I switched to it on my desktop and I think having it on the laptop would be even like just as cool, but maybe even cooler, but then, you know, having the portability and all that stuff, but still having really good performance because that's what AMD is known for these days. And uh, you also get with the graphics, the AMD graphics with the uh, Radeon RX Vegas 6 and Vegas 7. This is based on whichever you get, whichever CPU you purchase is what comes with that. It also has up to two terabytes of storage available with one NVMe M.2 slot. And it has up to 64 gigabytes of RAM available for you for using uh, even replaceable RAM, which is really cool to see a Ultrabook type of laptop to have a removable RAM, which is super rare. So that's cool. And also the uh, it has a lot of different options for USB, including USB type C, which is fantastic to see because a lot of I didn't do that on purpose. That was no pun intended. So the USB type C is a is just it's taking over and it, it's, it's taking over kind of slowly. So hopefully it does it a lot faster. Uh, but the USB type C is a nice connector. It has a lot of cool tech in it. Um, it's, it's the one that is like interchangeable. So no matter, you can't put it in wrong. Like that's cool too, but there's a lot of power, including like being able to like literally 
power delivery through that so you can charge the laptop with this connector. Uh, I did not do that pun either on purpose. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not ashamed of puns. I think puns are fantastic. Also, dad jokes are fantastic, but I didn't intend to do those. It just happened. So when I do intend it, I'll make it clear because I do love puns and I'm totally fine with them. But anyway, moving on. Uh, it does have power delivery through USB-C as well as the barrel jack basic power delivery. Uh, and it has a lot of other stuff like a, a micro SD card reader. It has a headphone jack, which is crazy, right? And it also has like Bluetooth built in and a bunch of stuff. And you can even get it with like multiple different operating systems choices. You can get it with Tuxedo OS, which is Ubuntu based with Budgie. It also has Ubuntu by itself if you want to get it. And OpenSUSE 15.1 Leap is available. So if you're interested in checking it out, the Pulse 14, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, as well as the Pulse 15 in the show notes. And also the episode 110 where we talked about the Pulse 15 in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the open source password manager that I use and trust, and you can go to getbitwarden.com DLN to get started with your free account. Password managers are really, really important. A lot of the times you'll need to create a website, uh, create an account on a website, and you should never use the same password that you used anywhere else because that lowers the security of that password. A lot of people like to just remember a password and use it forever. They make this really complicated password and then just remember that one. Well, that's not very helpful either because if any of those websites gets hacked, then you've are also potentially compromised the other one because it's the same password. So don't, don't do that. You should have a different password for every single website and every single account on every single website. But how do you keep up with that? Well, that's what Bitwarden is for. Bitwarden is a password generator so you can create the passwords. It's also got a password vault so you can store the password and it allows you to have uh, auto-filling passwords so you don't have to type them in yourself. And it also works on mobile, desktop, browser plugins, and even the command line. So you can have it working on any of your devices, and it's just super convenient that way. And like I said, it's also 100% open source software, which is fantastic. And it even let you self-host it if you want to. But in addition to the open source aspects, they also have security audits. It's not enough for them to say that we have open source software and therefore you can trust it. It's we've open sourced it and we've also done security audits to make sure that the claims that we make are valid. So they have, they do it periodically. And then they just recently, just like a few weeks ago, they did a whole, another security audit for the entire system of their security and make sure that it is as best as it possibly can be, which is fantastic. And bitwarden.com slash DLN will get you a free account, but you also can get a premium account for as low as $10 per year. That's right. Per year. $10 per year. And it's fantastic. You get a bunch of extra stuff like being able to do two-step login with a YubiKey, U2F, Duo. You get Vault Health Reports. You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But if you're like me, though, you want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since that premium edition is only $10 per year. Thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux and the Destination Linux Network. Up next in the show is a topic that I wanted to talk about because it's just an it's just something that I cover every single time that we actually talk about security related stuff to Linux. And it's a great article that written by Stephen J. Von Nichols on ZDNet entitled Enough with the Linux Security FUD. 
And I also wanted to explain what FUD meant, because FUD means fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's essentially a way to basically try to con control people's thoughts about something by scaring them and giving them fear about that thing so that they wouldn't touch it because it's just, ooh, scary. Like that kind of thing is what really what FUD means um, in a broad sense. Uh, but it's essentially to say that, you know, nothing is perfect, right? There's no, there's nothing's perfectly secure. Uh, there's, there's not a really a way to do that, not even Linux. So that's fair enough to say, but you'll notice that when something happens with Linux, like uh, security wise, there's a huge amount of articles written about it. Like, oh, um, Linux is insecure and rah, rah, and they just list all these different things and they go exaggerating about how problematic it is. And it's just essentially it's FUD because Windows has a thousand times more things, more problems with it in terms of security, but they don't write articles about it because everybody knows that it's terrible in security and it's just like viruses everywhere and all this other stuff. So because Linux is so much more secure, then the security aspect things happen are very rare. It's like a big thing to talk about in the news world and whatever to promote the security, the negative security of Linux. It's like you thought it was perfect and you thought you were safe and all that other kind of stuff. Basically, it's just to scare people into not trying it, even though the thing that they are using at the time likely is Windows and also means that the thing that they're telling you not to try because of security is the worst example of security. So whatever. That's why I want to talk about this, because this article is fantastic in terms of like, talk, you know, pointing out all the different er errors that people talk about. Like the example, they talk about how boot hole was this huge issue. And we talked about boot hole in this show. And I also pointed out that while it is bad, it's also not catastrophic, as in some articles are presenting it as catastrophic. So the group that discovered it themselves even said that an attacker needs access to use it and it has, needs to have admin access to in order to use it. So you have to have a system already compromised in order to use this flaw. So it's it basically only affects people who have are dual booting or are, are you know using it on multiple computers or or a network and that kind of thing. That maybe it would be a problem then. But in terms of like, it's not an attack vector. So you couldn't use this to an attack, to an attack a Linux system. So this is not really that kind of a problem. And there's also a same thing I talked about. Another thing about uh, the FBI and NSA released a security alert about some malware called Droverub or Droverub or something like that. I totally said that wrong, probably. Uh, anyway, that's not a way in either. That's more of a way out. It's for installing, um, it's for installing on systems that are already compromised. That should be at the top of the articles about it, but it usually isn't. So that's the main thing about this security FUD is that even these backdoor Trojans can only like the Doki Trojan can only successfully attack Linux systems when whoever set up the Docker containers exposed to the management interface or the API on the Internet is exposed the, the interface of the API through the Docker or if they didn't, uh, you know, lock down the firewalls or stuff like that. So it's more of like. These are problems that are not really attack vectors and they shouldn't be presenting them as if they are, but they do. And this article kind of talks about that. So I just wanted to give it a little bit of a, you know, a thank you to Stephen J. Von Nichols for writing this article because it is important that people know that Linux security is not remotely as bad as people are making it out to be in these articles and how most of the time, anytime you see a security problem, it's usually once you've already compromised the system, you can take it even farther 
but the purpose, the the possibility of actually getting that first compromise thing, that's pretty low. It's not impossible, of course, but it takes a lot of effort. And that's why most hackers, when they see a Linux box on the network, they don't bother with it because it's just too much effort to deal with. So they just skip it. So that's, I've had many hackers tell me that because it's just like, it's just not worth the time and effort in order to get to it. Because if they're using Linux, they're probably also doing other things for their security and privacy that would make it much more painful, even if they do get into it. So it's just, I just wanted to thank Stephen J. Nichols for making this article and let you know to go check it out because it is something that I think is important that people know that Linux security, even though you see articles about it, it's usually not as bad as they make it seem to be. Up next in the show is Super Tuxcart 1.2. It's been released and it has a lot of improvements for performance and stuff like that. So there's uh, online play is still compatible with the versions of 1.0 and 1.1. So that's great. So you, if you're still, if you haven't upgraded yet, you still can play with people who have, which is a good thing to note because all games should do that. If, if possible anyway, uh, but they've done a lot of improvements and I'll cover a few of the highlights. Like they have a new uh, settings to customize the game's camera. They have made multiple camera modes, which allow for significantly more flexibility. They've also added new carts and improved some carts for existing characters and some other stuff. But uh, the thing I wanted to talk about is probably the most important change for this release is that they ported the low-level Windows creation input handling code to SDL2, which improves a lot of things like improving the gamepad handling, uh, hot plug support, easier button remapping, and some bug fixes and stuff like that. So that's very cool. They've also said that they're working on support for Vulkan, which is exciting, so I can't wait for that. So if you want to check out SuperTuxCart 1.2, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the end of summer sale at the Humble Store. I'm gonna send. I'll have a link in the show notes below for that. And by the way, it is an affiliate link. So if you do decide to purchase anything from the Humble Store, I, there will be a commission for this show that I would very much appreciate if you were to use those links. But there's a lot of great games in the store right now that are on sale, like Gang Beasts, Golf with Your Friends, Stardew Valley, Kerbal Space Program, Sid Meier's Civilization VI, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Slime Rancher, Hollow Knight, Shovel Knight, and Borderlands 2 Game of the Year Edition, as well as a bunch of others, because I didn't list out everything because that would take forever. So if you're interested, I'll have a link in the show notes below to check out the Humble Store's end of summer sale that is happening right now. So links below, and again, remember affiliate links. So if you do appreciate if you if you do appreciate the content I make on this show, I would I would also appreciate you using those links to help benefit the show when you do purchase something on the Humble Store. And speaking of the Humble Store, there's also a bunch of Humble Bundles that are happening right now. I have a link to all of them in the show notes below, which of course will also be affiliate links. So if you do decide to purchase any of these bundles, then please use those links below because it will help out the show and the channel if you were to do so. So again, please use those links. And but we're going to talk about only three of the bundles right now on the show, but I'll have links to all of them in the show notes below. But First of all, we're going to talk about Programming and Productivity by Mercury. In this bundle, you get Cybersecurity, a self-teaching introduction. There's also another book called Data Science Tools. There's one that's uh, Python Basics and also one for AutoCAD, which is AutoCAD 2021 Beginning and Intermediate, Computer Security and Encryption, and also Network Security and Cryptography books. So if you're interested in any of that, check out the Programming and Productivity book bundle by Mercury. 
There's also another bundle that's related to security, and it's called the Advanced Computer Security and Privacy Bundle by Morgan and Claypool. In this book bundle, you'll get books like uh, Privacy for Location-Based Services, Trust in Social Media, and Mobile Platform Security Books, as well as a bunch of others. So if you're interested in that, check out the Advanced Computer Security and Privacy by Morgan and Claypool Bundle. There's another bundle I want to talk about, and the last bundle I want to talk about is the Learn a New Language for Kids and Adults bundle. So they say in this in their description of it, it's never too late to broaden your horizons. Get learning language subscriptions and ebooks for adults and kids for up to 12 languages like Japanese, Spanish, French, German, Chinese, Korean, and more. And you also get to support by doing this, using this, you pl- you support the International Me- Medical Corps, uh, Doctors Without Borders. And uh, also another uh, another charity called Save the Children. So that is fantastic. If you want to be able to learn a new language and also give to charity, then check out that bundle as well as the other ones because you can also give to charity with those as well, which is fantastic. Which is one of the best things about Humble Bundle is that you can give. You get a lot of cool stuff at a, re- at a re- really good discounted price, and you also can give to charity at the same time, which is just fantastic. So. If you want to check it out, I have links to all three of these bundles in the show notes below, as well as the rest that I did not talk about. So again, all these links for the Humble Bundles in the show notes below, and please use those links for the affiliate benefit of the show. And yeah, so check them out. Humble Bundles, all in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel and this show, then we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to the Destination Linux Network store, and there you can get this, this shirt, which is a fantastic shirt that I designed. I mean, it's a little bit biased because I designed it, but at the same time, I think it is fantastic, so hey, there's that. And also, you can get a bunch of other stuff at the Destination Linux Network store. And if you want a, a quick and easy URL to remember, it's dlnstore.com. Another way to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show, as well as the Hardware Addicts podcast. So go to destinationlinux.network to find out more about both of those podcasts. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with De- with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. <laughs>